And I've got the other camera up there too. Good evening. It's good to see everybody that's here tonight. Glad to have those of you joining with us online. Hope you really enjoyed that service this morning. I heard a lot of great comments about it. Uh, I will apologize to those of you who are on phone live streaming. Uh, it wasn't our situation. It was with phone live streaming. They were down this morning. Uh, so if you're with us tonight, uh, welcome to be with us. Uh, you can, uh, we can get that service to you if you want. Just call us the, at the church and we'll uh, connect you up with that particular service uh, so that you can re-listen to that if you missed that on our phone live streaming. Uh, don't forget that we are there on Facebook as well as Twitter at HBC Tullahoma, on YouTube at Highland Baptist Tullahoma, uh, and then of course our phone live streaming. Uh, you can go to our church website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. It's under the info tab. You can download the worship bulletin. Uh, these are in the windowsills if you're here in person uh, or at the doors as you leave. Uh, the children's worship bulletins are in this window, but they're also under that info tab. Uh, they're online at our website at highlandbaptistchurch.com. Also under that info tab uh, is the prayer list, so do keep that uh, in mind as you are praying throughout the week. Uh, you can go there and just take a look at it. You don't even have to download it. You can just click on it. It'll open there for you on your screen, and you can be able to use it through uh, the week for your prayer guide. And then while you're there, go to the far right-hand side. Again, as we said this morning, depending on what screen you're looking at, sometimes with a smaller screen it readjusts where it lays out on it, but it'll be the far right-hand side tab uh, that says Give Online. Uh, you can click that and do your online giving there. Uh, you can set it up as a recurring gift. You can set it up as a one-time gift. Uh, if you're giving to the budget offering, you can do that, and as well as there are some uh, designations that you can give there too uh, also. Uh, and so I encourage you to do that. You can do these uh, in person. You should have the pews offering envelopes there uh, that you can take and fill out and, and put in the offering plates uh, on the side here. And then also, just as a reminder, uh, we mentioned this this morning in the holders at the back and on the sides, uh, we have our Highland Baptist Connection cards. Uh, if any of your information has changed, phone numbers, uh, of course your birth date and all that hasn't changed, but phone numbers, emails, those kinds of things, uh, we encourage you to take one of those and refill that out for us. Uh, if maybe you haven't filled out one of these before for us, we encourage you to do that, or if you don't remember if you did, uh, that way we can make sure we have your most current information in our phone system and in our online online system so that we can be able to contact you when uh, there are occasions for that. Uh, it has at the bottom also, one of the reasons we're asking you to maybe refill this out uh, is because right now with our uh, phone calls that we send out, we are only sending out right now prayer requests. Uh, but if you would like to receive announcements, uh, like if we cancel services uh, or there's some special event uh, that's going to be going on, we need you to indicate that on this form. Uh, so that we can have your permission to put you in that uh, group to receive those. Uh, we can't put you in that group without your permission, and you can't put yourself in that group without uh, giving us that permission. So I uh, just want to remind you to take an take a opportunity to do that uh, so that we can get you in those groups that you want to be in and get you the information when things happen. So, uh, Brother Mike, if you'll come and lead us in our opening hymn tonight. For those of you that are here in person and here in Pat, before we got started uh, playing Trust and Obey, I don't know when they st you start broadcasting, but I hope they were able to hear some of that because you were hitting notes that weren't on the page. That's not taught, that's felt. That's special. And we appreciate what you do. Turn your hymnals and uh, turn to 446 and let's sing, um, Take Time to Be Holy, 446. Ms. Pat? Take time to be holy, speak off with thy Lord, abide in him always, and feed on his word, make friends of God's children, help those who are weak, forgetting in nothing his blessing to Time to be holy, the world rushes on. Spend 
much time in secret with Jesus alone. By looking to Jesus, like Him thou shalt be. Thy friends in thy conduct, His likeness shall see. Take time to be holy, let him be thy guide, and run not before him, whatever may time, in joy or in sorrow, still follow thy Lord, and looking to Jesus, still trust in his word. led by his spirit to fountains of love thou soon shall be fitted for service above almost want to say there let's sing another song <laughs> we didn't get to sing much congregational uh, this morning, but we certainly enjoyed uh, Mercy's Well uh, being with us and singing uh, for us. Take your Bibles tonight, if you will, and turn to Mark's Gospel, Mark chapter 8 and verse 1 through verse 21. Uh, we're just going to begin with verse 1 through verse 3 to start with, um, and I don't know exactly how I have this laid out. I forgot how I laid this out in, my, uh, in the presentation there. But let's stand as we read God's Word in honor of His Word, and I'm sure Tommy will be able to keep up with us from where we are here. So Mark chapter 8 and verse 1. In those days when again a great crowd had gathered, and they had nothing to eat, he called his disciples to him and said to them, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from far away. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you for your word once again. Uh, Lord, as we looked at uh, the passage this morning about do we believe in miracles, and then looking at tonight's message of how many miracles does it take for us to believe. Lord, I pray that we would see through these New Testament passages here what it took for the people in Jesus' day uh, to believe. Uh, as well as what they didn't believe, how many times they had seen Jesus work over and over again. And Lord, I pray that we would begin to see all around us uh, your hand at work and that we would ha have a confidence in knowing that you have worked faithfully in our past, you are going to work in our future, and you are working with us right now uh, through whatever situations that we may be going through. So lead us tonight through your word and bless your word in Jesus' name precious name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Do y'all like memories? Good ones? Yeah, we like good ones, don't we? We don't like bad ones. Uh, I love Facebook for that reason, one of those reasons that I like Facebook. Facebook can keep up with family and friends that are far apart from here uh, to know how things are going with them and their kids, and it's an easy way to see those things. But one of the things that happens almost daily uh, is you'll, you'll see on your Facebook feed, if you have Facebook, uh, you'll see something that pops up, memories, uh, and it'll show a picture or something that you posted uh, from the past that that brings back some memories. I remember seeing this week uh, our middle daughter and Christopher uh, in a memory that popped up on my Facebook fa page uh, of them working in the garden. Actually, they were, she was sitting in the garden uh, and he was looking at what she was doing uh, there in, in planting some seeds uh, in the garden. And, and so uh, it was just a good memory uh, to, to have and to remember. I remember 
I have some memories of, of my dad. My dad died uh, when I was five years old. He was 26, had a heart attack. Uh, but I do remember a few memories about him. My brothers don't have any personal memories of him other than what they've been told. Uh, but I do remember some memories of, of him uh, when I was young. Those are some precious memories uh, that I hold on to. I remember uh, my grandmother especially. My, my mom was special to us also, but uh, there was a time there where my mom wasn't uh, going to church and my grandmother picked us up and started taking me and my two brothers uh, to her church. And so I remember going to church with her. And I remember especially, I think about, this is Sunday night, I think about uh, Sunday night after church, uh, we would always go to the main county seat town, which was just a few miles down the road from us. Uh, and we would either go to McDonald's uh, and get a Happy Meal or get a, a Sunday or some, something like that. Or we'd go to this favorite place that we had there in town called Powell's Dairy Freeze. And they had some of the best sandwiches uh, and, and they had some of the best desserts. Uh, we we love those things. And uh, I, those were precious memories to me of doing those things with my grandmother. I remember my grandmother at Christmas every year, we would set up a manger scene uh, in her yard. I don't know if you've ever seen those. They, they make the small versions of them now uh, that have the Mary and Joseph, the baby Jesus, they're kind of plastic with a light bulb that sticks up inside of them. Well, hers were about this tall. Uh, I've looked online to find those on eBay now, and they're about $800, $900 now for, for just a few pieces, not the whole set. you got to pay a couple of thousand to get the whole set. That's not what she paid back in the day, but that's how valuable they are. Uh, but I remember setting that up uh, with her and my two brothers and usually some other cousins, too. Uh, we would set up a, an actual... Uh, manger area. We'd have a, uh, some, some poles that we would put in the ground, some slat wood that we would put across, cypress usually, uh, put some moss and straw around in it, and then put those displays there. She lived on a, on a highway. If you ever go through Florida, uh, you know that you've got 75 uh, that kind of runs almost down the middle to western side uh, of the state. You've got 95 that runs down the eastern side. But if you want to go right down the middle, you take Highway 301. And there's a ton of people who take Highway 301. And so it was always a big thing. People would toot the horn every time they would see us out there doing it. And it was like a, a, a thing locally even uh, that people would look forward to. And those were some precious memories. But like we said, those are the good memories. Sometimes we forget the bad things. Sometimes we, for, uh, we even forget some of the good memories, uh, like uh, my, my daughter and son uh, that were in the garden this week. I was like, oh yeah, I remember that. I, it had uh, faded from my memory. You know, memories are sometimes all that we have. And so often we forget the lessons we should have learned from the past, and, and that creates problems for us. When you look at the New Testament days, they didn't have what we have. They didn't have uh, the Word of God codified, put into a, a book form where everybody had their own copy in their own language. They had the oral tradition of sharing God's Word. Now, in the New Testament days, they began to write uh, the Gospels uh, and, and began to share that around to the churches, but everybody didn't have their own copy like we do today. And so, you couldn't, if you were just, you know, making food one day and you just want to sit around and, and remember about the Bible, you didn't have your Bible, you could pop open like we do today and remember some of the things that God's Word had to say. You had to remember uh, what, what you were told at the, at the synagogue or what you were told uh, at the New Testament church, uh, if it was an Old Testament passage there at the synagogue. And so sometimes people would forget things. And especially that was a problem many times with the disciples as they were living out the Gospels. They would forget things. And, and there are three problems that I want you to see in this passage tonight, and also to understand that God is bigger than any of our problems that we might have. The first problem I want you to see is the problem of insufficient meals. The problem of insufficient meals. Uh, if you notice there in verse 1 and verse 2, we see the commitment uh, of Jesus' followers. The, the crowd that had begun to follow Jesus, you remember the passage we looked at this morning, uh, there, there was many who were coming to be healed. Some who just wanted to come see what was going on. Show me another miracle. I want to see another miracle. I want to see you raise somebody from the dead. Or I want to see you make somebody who's lame uh, walk again. Some people were just coming for the spectacle, but other people had genuine needs. 
needs. And they were coming to Jesus uh, because of those needs. Well, the crowd had begun to grow and had become very great. And, and it tells us uh, in these verses, notice there at the beginning of verse 1 of chapter 8, it says, in those days when again a great crowd had gathered. In fact, what we're going to find out here is that there are 4,000 in this crowd uh, who are going to eat. And that's an interesting number uh, because this event occurred on the other side of the Sea of Galilee in a place called Decap Decapolis, uh, a land that's heavily populated by Gentiles. These were the very people who had, who had rejected Jesus earlier and had asked him to leave their coasts after he had healed a, a demoniac. And so now they're following him. So what is it that brought about uh, this significant change? Well, the answer is probably found in Jesus' instructions to the healed demoniac. If you go back and read that story, the demoniac had, had asked Jesus, he said, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to go with you. Now, I don't know about you today, I, I want to go be with Jesus. I'm ready to go to heaven. Are you ready to go to heaven? Uh, many of us, we're, we're like, yes, I'm ready to go to heaven. But the Lord says, no, I'm not ready for you to come to heaven yet. Well, that's kind of the way he, he spoke to this young man who, who had, had a de demon cast out of him. He wants to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, no, no, I don't want you to follow me. Well, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back and tell the people. Tell the people about what has happened. Remain there in your own country. Be a witness to what Jesus has done. And so evidently, this guy was sharing with everybody. And it was bearing great fruit. And, and prepared the people for Jesus' return. What a lesson to us on the importance of witnessing. How we so long and we so desire uh, for, for ourselves to go be with Jesus. And yet Jesus says, I'm not ready yet. And, and we wonder, why hasn't he called me home to be with him yet? Lord, why don't you take us home to be with you yet? And he's saying to us, I want you to be a witnesses. That, uh, be a witness for me. That's what he's told us to do. Uh, we see that this crowd uh, has become large and, and they're hungering spiritually. And so they had gone without food for about three days. That's what verse 2 tells us. Jesus looks on them. He has compassion on the crowd because he says, They have been with me now three days... And they hadn't had anything to eat. So not only are they hungering spiritually, they're hungering physically. Now some may have brought some provisions, but by now everything they had brought uh, had already been eaten. Uh, there wasn't any more. Uh, the people were craving the Word of God. They wanted to be there with Jesus. Nobody wanted to miss what was going to happen and, and, and what Jesus might have to say. And the Word of Jesus uh, began to be esteemed, if you will, more highly than necessary food. Matthew chapter 5 verse 6 tells us, Blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. John 6, 35 tells us, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. And so they were hungering after what Jesus uh, had to say and what Jesus uh, wanted to say. Uh, now, sometimes we find ourselves in that kind of place. Maybe we're watching something uh, on television. We're watching an event that's happening, or, or maybe we're at a game or something, and, and we just don't want to leave our seat because... We don't want to miss what's happening. Maybe you go to the movies and, and you're like, i got to go to the bathroom. i got to go to the bathroom. I hope this thing gets over soon uh, so that I can go. I don't want to miss what's going to happen in the movie next. Uh, and if you're at home, you can just push the pause button. And you can go get your popcorn. You can go get your snacks. You can go to the restroom, whatever you need to do. But when you're there in person, you're experiencing it live. You can't do that. And that's where these people were. They couldn't just push the pause button on what Jesus was doing, go get them something to eat, and then come back. And so they didn't want to miss anything because they were hungering and thirsting more than food, physical food that they needed. And so Jesus looks out on them, and I want you to see the compassion of Jesus' heart. We see that here in verse 1 through verse 3. The disciples, they needed to have a compassion for the people. And the disciples, when they looked on this group, because remember, where are we now? We're in Decapolis, which is primarily a Gentile region, uh, a Gentile area. Most of the people there are Gentiles. They are people who are set apart from God's chosen people. Uh, these are the people that 
they would look upon and they would, they would look at them as outcasts and that's where the disciples were. Uh, they looked upon many of these people as outcasts and, and they were, these people were considered enemies even by most of the Jews. There wasn't anything attractive about them, anything appealing about them in the eyes of the disciples. It would almost be like the disciples are like, when are we going to get out of here so we can get back to some of our Jewish communities? Uh, I think it's time for us to move on. And that's kind of the attitude that they had because they had no compassion for them. They weren't concerned. They had no thought of helping them. Uh, and so Jesus had to teach these disciples compassion. Now, he had already discussed the need uh, for this with them. If you go back to Matthew chapter 9, you can read it there. Uh, and, and he had tried to stir their compassion for the lost and the outcast. And he did that by showing what compassion Involves. Uh, notice in verse 2 and verse 3 that compassion involves seeing the needs. It involves seeing the needs of people. Uh, let's read verse 2 and verse 3 again. He said, I have compassion on the crowd because they have been with me now three days and have nothing to eat. And if I send them away hungry to their homes, it's so bad they won't even make it home before they faint on the way. And some of them have come from far away. They've come many hours, many miles, and, and, and they won't even make it home. That's how bad the situation was. And so Jesus had looked at and saw these people, observed these people, and in doing so, he saw they had a need. Now, the disciples should have seen the same thing that Jesus saw. The disciples should have seen that these people had a need. They should have looked on them. They should have observed them. But they really hadn't. And one of the reasons is, is because they were too prejudiced and, and too prideful. Uh, they felt these people were beneath them. They weren't worthy of their time and, and worthy of their efforts. And so the disciples, they never really saw the genuine need that was there before them. They should have because Jesus had just taught the same lesson even back in Mark chapter 6 and verse 35 through verse 44. But their prejudice and their, and their pride began to blind their eyes and to blind their hearts even from the truth that had been taught them. Jesus had already taught them. Now here's an example before them and they still can't even see it. And so it shows us the great need for Jesus to keep repeating these same truths over and over and over again. You know, sometimes it's like that when we have children. We have to keep repeating the rules over and over and over and over again. Some of us, we had to have the rules repeated to us a whole lot before we finally got it. Some of us had to get in some big trouble before we started learning uh, the rules. And, and so uh, they, he, Jesus had to continue to repeat it over and over. And, and so looking at and observing the people, uh, this is what we need to learn, is essential for us to see the need. For us to see the need is essential to stir compassion with us. So when, when you're going about your daily business, when you go to work, when you, when you look around your neighborhood, you're out working in the yard uh, and you see your neighbors, look at them and ask the Lord, Lord, what should I see about this person? What are the needs around me that you can maybe use me? to reach out and to meet a need, to share the love of Jesus with, to, to show compassion. You see, compassion is aroused and, and stirred within us by seeing and observing and studying the need of people. If we never expose ourselves to the needs of people, we'll never experience compassion. And that's one of the dangers that we have as Christians because uh, sometimes uh, our, our, our interactions and our relations with others tend to be what we have within the four walls of the church, in a sense, with those who are other believers, those who are other Christians. And, and we don't have much interaction with those who are in the community who, who are having drug problems, who are having alcohol problems, who are having financial problems. Uh, we don't always see those things, and, and many times we don't see it because we just aren't looking. We're too busy with our own selves and our own lives. Uh, so compassion involves us observing and seeing, but it also involves the use of resources. Notice verse 4 and verse 5. And his disciples answered him, How can one feed these people with bread here in this desolate place? And he asked them, How many loaves do you have? And they said, seven. Now understand this, 
you can't meet a need if you don't have the resources to help meet the need. Now, some of us think, well, what I have isn't much. But sometimes we're like the widow woman who gave her her might, and, and she gave more than everybody else uh, gave there. Or sometimes we're like the little boy who gave his lunch, and Jesus used that to feed 5,000 in another occasion. So, so understand this. Whatever you have, whatever resources you have, God has blessed you with those resources, not just for your own well-being. He's blessed you with those resources to be a blessing to others. And so the disciples, they wondered about the resources. They're thinking, where are we going to get enough bread to feed so many? And so they asked Jesus about it, uh, offering every objection and excuse. Uh, they're thinking, well, this place is the wilderness. It's beyond reach. The, the resources, it's just not enough here. And the multitude and the need, it's just too great. Uh, too many use the same excuses today to keep from becoming involved, and, and too many needs go unmet. And, and so the disciples, they overlooked the resources that they did have because we find out how much did they have. They found out they had seven loaves of bread. So they did have something. And, and Jesus, he didn't ask the disciples to discuss how they could meet so great a need. He didn't say, how are you going to do this? Notice what Jesus said in those verses. He said, how many loaves do you have? That's all he asked. How much do you have? What do you have? Well, Jesus, all I've got is a dollar. I'll take that dollar and use it to be a blessing. That's what he's saying here. Their concern should have been seeing just what they could do. And what he told them to do is just check on the resources that they had. What resources others had and just how God was going to meet the need shouldn't concern, uh, shouldn't have been their concern. Their concern should have been uh, on just, uh, on seeing just what they do have and what God can do with what they have. Now, also compassion involves giving everything. It, it involves giving all, taking all, and, and using all those things that we have to meet the need. Notice verse 6, if you will. Verse 6 says, here's what he then speaks to the crowd. He directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to set before the people, and they set them before the crowd. Now, now notice that all seven loaves were given to Jesus. And Jesus took all seven loaves and used all seven loaves to meet the need. In other words, there was nothing that was held back. All the resources available were used to meet the need. Understand this about compassion. Compassion will always give, but it will always give everything and, and, and then take all and use all to meet the need. So often what we tend to want to do is, well, I need to hold back this much for me, uh, or I need to store up, or even sometimes we deceive or lie or cheat. You don't think that happens? Look at the New Testament, and you'll see uh, in the New Testament there uh, about individuals who lied about what they had given, and they were actually holding back part of it for, them, for themselves. And so sometimes people lie and cheat uh, about their resources just to keep from having to give. And so Jesus teaches, and that was people in the church, in the New Testament church. That wasn't uh, unbelievers outside the church. And so Jesus teaches that we're to give, and we're to give all of our resources to meet the needs of a desperate world. And then we're to make sure that, that, that all we gave is taken and used in the meeting of the needs. So to be faithful with the resources that God has given us. That's one of the things we want to be good stewards of as a church. We want to be sure that what has been given uh, through tithes and offerings is, is faithfully being used to meet needs and to share the gospel with people and to do the work that God has called us to do here. And so uh, that is true compassion. Compassion also involves thankfulness to God. Notice what Jesus did in verse 6 there. Uh, he gave thanks uh, for the seven loaves of bread. And, and verse 7 goes on to tell us, and they had a few small fish... So, wait a second, those came up a little bit later. We, we had some bread here, now some small fish. And he blessed them, and he said that these also should be set before them. So, notice what, that what the disciples had to give was small. 
it was, it was insignificant in the face of the need that was there. In, in other words, it was it, the, what, what Jesus held in his hands that they had gave was so small, it was impossible to meet the need. And yet, Jesus takes it and he thanks God the Father for the insufficient resources for what he holds in his hands. Because here's a lesson we need to learn if we have not learned it yet. Little is much when God is in it. There's a song about that. I won't sing that song tonight, <laughs> but, but there's a song about that. Little is much when God is in it. Here's the second thing I want you to see, the second problem. There's the problem of inadequate memories. Now, what are we talking about? Well, when you read verses 4, uh, verse 4 down through verse 9, we've already read verse 4, 5, 6, and 7. Let's pick up with verse 8. So verse 8 says, and they ate and were satisfied, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. Now, we're going to look at verse 19 through 20 here in just a moment. But some want to say that this miracle is the same miracle as the feeding of the 5,000, that Mark got it wrong. He repeated the, the, the first miracle again uh, with incorrect facts. But what I want you to see is that this is a separate instance because this is a different period. 5,000 were with Jesus one day. The feeding of the 4,000 were, were with people who were with Jesus for three days. So the first group of 5,000 was only with him for one day. This group had been with him for three days. So it's a different time period. Uh, there's, it's different people. 5,000, the 5,000 that were fed, they were predominantly Jewish. The feeding of the 4,000 are predominantly Gentiles. It's a different place. The 5,000 were fed in Galilee near Bethsaida. Uh, the feeding of the 4,000 takes place somewhere uh, in Decapolis. Uh, it's, it's a different place. Uh, there's different procedures in the feeding of the 5,000. Jesus said, you give them something to eat. In the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus just simply says, how many loaves do you have? In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus said for them to sit down on the green grass. In the feeding of the 4,000, there's no mention of any green grass of Galilee. It, there's different prayers here. In the feeding of the 5,000, Jesus just offers a general prayer for the bread and the fish. In the feeding of the 4,000, Jesus offers a specific prayer for the bread and then another specific prayer for the fish. It's different portions. Because if you remember in the feeding uh, of the 5,000, how many loaves of bread were there? Five. How many fishes? Two. In the feeding of the 4,000, there were seven loaves. We don't know exactly how many fish, but there were a few small fish. That would imply a few more than, uh, than two. Uh, and so it was different portions. Uh, there was different provision here. In the feeding of the 5,000, you remember after everybody had ate, how many basketfuls did they collect up? Twelve. In this one, how many did they collect up? Seven. In fact, uh, the feeding of the 4,000, there were seven large baskets full of fragments that were left over. We'll talk about that again uh, in just a moment. Uh, there were diff these were different packages. In the feeding of the 5,000, uh, there were 12 baskets. And that word that's used in the feeding of the 5,000 is the Greek word kafinos. It means a small basket big enough for a lunch. In the feeding of the 4,000, these are large baskets. It's a different Greek word. It's called spirus. It's a large basket big enough uh, for a person. And that, the, kind of, the kind of basket that they let Paul down uh, over the wall in. So it's a large basket uh, in, in the feeding of the 4,000. It's small lunch baskets in the feeding of the 5,000. Uh, there's different portrayals here. So let's look at verse 19 down through verse 20. Here Jesus goes to explain some things about this. He says, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? So Jesus himself is referring not to this 4,000, but a separate occasion when he fed 5,000. And he says, how many basketfuls did you collect then? And they said 12. So it was a difference of amount of baskets. And he says in verse 20, and the seven for the 4,000... 
So he specifically breaks it apart there again. How many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And so uh, the miracles are similar, but they're not the same. Now, there, there is a memory problem here in this passage. It's not Mark's memory uh, that's the problem. It's the disciples' memory that's the problem because they didn't get it the first time. That's why Jesus has to ask them here, do you remember back there when I fed the 5,000 how many baskets were left over? And let me ask you, do you remember right now we just fed these 4,000 how many were left over? Jesus is, is getting at their, their memory. The first time they didn't get it, and they didn't get it the second time. There was an abundance of leftovers. Understand this, God always provides more than you will ever need. Maybe not more than you'll ever want, but more than you will ever need. There was more, uh, one more need here for evangelism, for moving on. R remember this crowd had hungered for the Word of God. That's why they had stuck around. They had wanted to hear Jesus. They had wanted to see the miracles. They were hungering for spiritual food, even putting the spiritual before the physical. And, and, and so notice what happens uh, with these individuals in verse 9. He says there were about 4,000 people, and he sent them away. Now, we think about that. Well, wait a second. Why does he send them away? Well, the idea is here that he sent them away as a group, as a body of people who had hungered spiritually and had been fed. And as they went, they would certainly bear witness uh, to the awesome experience of having been fed by Jesus. They're going to tell everybody about what they've seen uh, and, and experienced both spiritually and physically. You know, there's a time for us to sit at the feet of Jesus and to be fed, but there's also a time to be sent away and to go forth carrying the wonderful message that he feeds the hungering heart. And that's what they needed to share. They didn't need to just keep staying there with Jesus. They needed to go. They needed to go to the world around them. That's the very same message for us. We need to be going to the world around us and sharing the good news of the gospel with the world around us. The problem, the third problem we see here, though, is the problem of an inappropriate message. Notice verse 10 down through verse 13. And immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. And then verse 11 goes on, the Pharisees came and began to argue with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven to test him. And he sighed deeply in his spirit and said, why does this generation seek a sign? Truly, I say to you, no sign will be given to this generation. And he left them, got into the boat again, and went to the other side. So notice here, Jesus goes across the lake. Now what's this lake? It's the Sea of Galilee. He goes to the west side, to the lands close to Dalmanutha. And as soon as he steps off the boat, who's there to meet him? The religious people, the Pharisees who confront him. Notice that Mark only mentions the Pharisees. Matthew says that the Sadducees had joined forces with them in an attempt to discredit Jesus before the people at this place. And in so doing, they revealed their own spiritual blindness. You know, spiritual blindness has been a problem in every generation. Most people are spiritually blind. At one time, we were blind. Isn't that what we sing in Amazing Grace? Once I was blind, but now I can see and, and so they were blind, but they were blind to the signs, uh, to the presence, to the mercy, to the care, to the gifts of God to men. You know, God is easily by those who will openly and honestly seek the truth. If you want to see God, all you have to do is really open your eyes and open your heart. Because he's seen in the world all around us. He's seen in the happenings of life. He's seen in the merciful actions that occur in our life. He's seen in the care of our life. He's seen in the love uh, that we often experience. He's seen in the gifts of goodness to help a person uh, to get along in, a, in an ag antagonistic world. And yet so few people look for God and give thanks to him for all that he is and all that he does. I've said this many times before, if we had today what we thank God for yesterday, most of us wouldn't have very much. And, and so, so few were looking for him. 
You know, so often we choose uh, rather to reject a personal God, to, to attribute the happenings and the things of life uh, to our own human efforts. Why? Because if you acknowledge a personal God, then you, you're faced with having to surrender your life to God. And, and so people challenge, if there's a God, prove yourself, show yourself, give us a sign. And all the while, they don't really expect any sign. And even if they saw a sign, they would deny the sign. All because they're spiritually blind to the truth. Here's what the gospel says in John 20 and verse 30 through 31. It says, Now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, John 6 verse 30 uh, says, So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. You remember when we went through that passage before? And then Matthew 16 and verse 4 says, An evil and adulterous generation seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. So he left them and departed. You see, the people of Jesus' day, they had signs. You can go back and look at the passage we read this morning in Matthew's Gospel, in Matthew chapter 15, uh, in verse 29 through 31 there. And there was miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. How many miracles does it take for you to finally believe? I mean, think about this. Look back in your life, and if you look back over your past, you will see time after time after time after time where God has blessed you, God has worked in your life, God has provided for you. When it seemed like there was no way, God somehow made a way, and yet we want another sign. Lord, we want you to show, show me again. I just need to know again. God says, how many signs, how many miracles does it take in your life? You see, think about these people in Jesus' day. They had lived in critical times, times that foretold the coming of the Messiah. Uh, if anybody was any kind of thoughtful, genuine, spiritual person, they could see the signs. And the people even of our generation and of every generation since Christ, we've had signs after signs after signs. But the spiritually blind grieve the Lord. There's no excuse for spiritual blindness. Evidence after evidence, sign after sign, work after work can clearly be seen all around us. And yet, so often we continue to deceive our own hearts and sometimes we do it knowingly. We know that God is, we know He is there, and yet we outwardly deny it, deceiving ourselves. Notice here the Jews refused to look at the signs of the times. They chose to be spiritually blind because the Bible tells us they were wicked and adulterous. It was a wicked and adulterous generation. There was never enough signs. There was never enough evidence to convince them to change their lives nor to lead them to turn to God. You know, God's great concern is not signs from heaven, signs outside of man. God's great concern is meeting the, the needs of people's hearts in their lives where they really need Him if they're going to live eternally. You see, the spiritually blind are left behind by the Lord. Notice the force of those words. He left them. They refused to believe despite all the evidence. And Jesus had no other choice. The decision was theirs. It wasn't Jesus who was turning his back on them. It was they who were turning their backs on Jesus. And so he had to turn and he had to leave. That was a problem that we see here. Here's the fourth problem we see. The problem of an incredible misunderstanding. We pick up in verse 14 down through verse 21, and we see an illustration that Jesus gives in verse 14. Verse 14 through verse 16 says, Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. So get the picture here. You remember they had fed 5,000 
uh, with just the, the loaves and the bread that they had there. They fed the 4,000 with the seven loaves of bread that they had there. And now they're in a boat with Jesus and they forgot to bring bread. And so here they are, they're in the boat, they forgot to bring bread, they only had one loaf with them in the boat, and he cautioned them saying, watch out, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. But wait a second, that's not what Jesus was talking about. He wasn't talking about the physical bread. He just got through telling them. He, he just got through telling them, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. So notice this illustration here. They had gotten into the boat here to go to the other side, and all of a sudden the disciples remember, oh, wait a second, we forgot some bread. They had forgotten to bring fruit, food. They only had one loaf of bread with them in the boat. And Jesus sees in their forgetfulness the chance to teach them a much-needed lesson on the evil and dangers of the world. So notice Jesus' indignation here. Not only the illustration, but his indignation in verse 13 and verse 14. And what Jesus is doing here is rebuking such a preoccupation with earthly matters. Uh, notice what he goes on to say as they had been discussing it uh, amongst themselves. Verse 17 says, And Jesus, aware of this, so they're talking in one part of the boat uh, amongst themselves. Uh, about bread that Jesus has just got through talking to them about is not about physical bread. Uh, and so Jesus is aware of this and he says to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Wasn't even talking about physical bread is what Jesus was saying. And you, do you not yet perceive or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Uh, so what Jesus is doing here is, is rebuking that, 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 that their focus on earthly things. And he calls it distrust. Uh, when you read Matthew uh, 16 and verse 8 about this passage, he says to them, Oh, you of, what's that phrase he always says? Of little faith. We ought to be primarily concerned with the spiritual matters, not the earthly things. You see, the danger is that spiritual blindness and, and, and hardness of heart, those are the dangers being concerned. The danger with all that is being concerned uh, with, with material and earthly things, with physical bread. But notice, Jesus does nothing here but ask questions through the rest of the passage. Notice what he said again in verse 17. He said, are you why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? He, another question. Do, do, not, do you not yet perceive or understand? Another question. Are your hearts hardened? Another question in verse 18. Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And, and another question. And do you not remember? Remember what? Remember the feeding of the 5,000. Remember the feeding of the 4,000. Remember what he has done over and over and over. And that's why he says in verse 19, he, here's another question. When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketfuls of broken pieces did you take up? They said to him, 12. Here's another question. And the seven for the 4,000, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? And they said to him, seven. And the final question Jesus asks them and says to them, do you not yet understand? Don't you understand yet? You see, they had failed to understand. They had failed to have soft hearts. They had failed to see with spiritual eyes. They had failed to hear with open ears. They had failed even to remember. Here's what I want to encourage you tonight. Don't ever forget what God has done for us. The question for us is, here's what the disciples had experienced. Miracle after miracle after miracle after miracle. And that's what Jesus is saying. Don't you get it yet? I am who I said I am. I am God in the flesh. That's what it was all about, as we said this morning. It was to glorify God in heaven. And he says, do you not yet understand? So the question for us tonight is this. How many miracles does it take? 
How many signs does God have to show you before you finally believe? Or, or, or even if you're a Christian, before you start trusting him like you ought to be trusting him. How many times does he have to show us over and over and over again for us to finally get it? You're going to be there for me, Jesus. I know that. You're going to see me through this, this difficulty I'm going through. And Lord, I don't know what tomorrow holds, but I know you're going to see me through that also. Because we have that experience of the past one step at a time, one day at a time, one miracle at a time, one sign at a time that he has shown us over and over and over and over his blessings. I, she just came in late, so I didn't get a chance to ask her before the service. You want to come up here and talk with me about your testimony? I'll just share it if you don't. If you want to come up and share your testimony. Okay. I wanted to give you that opportunity. <laughs> but she didn't want to do it. So I didn't get to talk to her earlier. I told you this morning I might share about uh, our testimony with some parents that she had. Uh, this was back in 2004. Uh, try to remember most all the details, but uh, we had been uh, over to Gatlinburg area, uh, Wears Valley actually, spending uh, the week uh, thanks of Thanksgiving uh, there with some friends. Actually, let me back up just about a week prior to that. Uh, she had had an episode where she had a seizure, and uh, I was over at the church, one of my daughters. She had been up with Christopher uh, and that morning and playing with him, talking with him in the living room. Uh, I had gone over to the church to work. We lived in a parsonage next door to the church there at Pleasant Grove in Mountain City. And uh, I, next thing I know, I'm getting a call from my middle daughter, the one who lives in New York City now. And she's like, something's wrong with mom. Mom's uh, having a seizure or something. She's foaming at the mouth and stuff. And I came back to find her in the bed. She was shaking, was foaming at the mouth and everything. And called 911. They sent the squad out. Uh, they, be they began to check some things. They checked her sugar, and her sugar was really low. It was down in like 40, somewhere down in that neighborhood. And, uh, and she was shaking with the seizure and everything. But then she started coming to as they started giving her some glucogen and stuff. So they, they, after they checked her vitals out, everything was good. They said, you can just follow up with your doctor. So that's what we did. We went on uh, to go see her doctor uh, that day. And uh, they didn't know what the deal was that caused her to have the seizures. They thought maybe it was something with her hormones or something. So they sent us to the female doctor. Uh, they said, I don't know why you sent us here. Uh, so we went on about our way the next week on our vacation. She was doing somewhat okay, but still having headaches and stuff. And then that week of Thanksgiving while we were on our vacation, she couldn't keep anything down hardly. Uh, she was having headaches real bad. Uh, she was throwing up real bad. Uh, it came to Thanksgiving Day, and it was the uh, only day that she felt any good that we were actually able to go out into town together as a family and with our friends. And, and then the next day uh, was on Friday, and we were uh, meeting my mom and the, uh, part of my family that had come up from Florida there in Pigeon Forge, and we were meeting them to go back uh, home, uh, back up to Mountain City. Well, on our way up, we decided with the group we're going to stop at Ryan's, right? I think that's what it was, something like that, or the other one, the other smorgasbord place. Uh, I forget the name of it. But anyway, who? Golden Crow, that's it. Golden Crow, because she hates Golden Crow now. <laughs> but, uh, we stopped at Golden Crow. The fluorescent lights were really bothering her bad. Her, he her head was getting worse. She still couldn't keep anything down. So we, we, she said, I need to go by the hospital. So we sent the kids with my family on home, uh, hoping they could all find the way there. Uh, and uh, we went on to the hospital there in Elizabeth. And well, they did some scans on her, some tests on her. And they came and talked to us and said, well, we think she has a tumor. Uh, in her brain. Uh, they said it's about the size of a nickel, uh, and they said we need to do some follow-ups on Monday. This is on Friday, uh, and they said there was no rush because it's a tumor. They can't do anything emergency with it, per se. Um, they, they, I forget if they gave her fenugrin or something that night, but uh, when we got home, she still couldn't keep anything down the whole next day. Uh, and then Sunday, uh, we have some ladies at our church there that were nurses, and they said, you need to go back to the hospital. So we went back that next night uh, to Elizabeth, and they got her. Uh, uh, we realized they weren't going to do anything more than what they had done uh, the night before. And so we went on over to Johnson City to the medical center there. Uh, when we were there that Sunday before we 
I had to go on Monday. Uh, there were some of our church people were just down at the altar praying that Sunday night. We didn't even have preaching uh, that night, but a lot of our people were just gathered around the pulpit praying for her and the situation uh, that she was going through. Some ladies were over at the house uh, with her, talking with her and praying with her. And so we just went the next day with a friend from church who took us over to Johnson City to follow up with the MRI uh, to see about this tumor. When we get there and they do the MRI, the guy asks us after it, he says, well, where are you going next? And we said, well, as far as we know, we're going back home. We don't know anything. It's just, a, you know, that's what we were under the impression. He said, well, we're getting ready to bring an ambulance over. It's like across the street from the hospital to take her over to the hospital. And we're like, well, we can just take her over. And they're like, well, we got scans that we need to send over there too. Uh, we said, well, we can take those over or you can send those over however you need to, but we can take her over and get her on over there. So we did. Well, we, me and the gentleman who was there from my church took her on over. And uh, they uh, hadn't told us anything yet at that point until we got over. There was, they said, we're going to do an angiogram on her. We said the, the thing they had seen with the MRI, that was to determine if it was a mass or fluid. They said it was fluid. So uh, they were going to do an angiogram to see... Uh, just the specifics of it, what the deal was with it. And so uh, the, the actual team who was going to do that had already, uh, from, from what we found out when we got there, they were already supposed to be gone. Well, they had heard that she was coming over, and so they stayed past their normal time uh, to, to see her, to have this angiogram done. That was one miracle in all this, that they could have been gone and it could have been another day before uh, the scan was done. And so anyway, they stayed, they, they took her back. She had some, uh, one of the guys that was with that angiogram team uh, just told her that it was going to be good, it was going to be all right, the Lord's with you. Keep the faith. And so that's why she needed to be up here to tell some of this <laughs> with me because some of it's what she experienced. Uh, some of it's from my side, what I experienced. And, and so uh, they took her back, did the angiogram. The, the neurologist comes back out and talks to me, and he says, well, what we found is that she has an aneurysm. It is the size of a nickel. Uh, they said that the other one, she does have two. Uh, the other one is smaller, so we're not as concerned about that one, but the large one we are. And he said, to be honest, we can't do that here. He said, I, I wouldn't do it here at all. He said, we, I recommend, he said he had trained under a guy in Charlotte. You can either go to Asheville or you can go to Charlotte and work with, get him to, to do this. So we were like, okay, that's what we'll do, whatever we need to do. Um, and so they're making arrangements. Well, they have a liaison who works out all your arrangements. Uh, this is on Monday. And it's getting late into the evening at this point. And uh, they were gonna fly her over. Well. The, the life flight came and said, we, they had called the liaison and said, we can't. We're on a call right now flying over to North Carolina to pick up a guy from a hunting accident. And so uh, they couldn't. So they start making arrangements. I don't know if you know, in Tennessee at that time at least, your local EMS in your county was responsible for transporting you from one place to another. And so they were working on getting Johnson County, which is almost an hour away from there, to come down to Johnson City pick her up and take her then by ambulance over to Charlotte. They were going to send a trauma nurse with it. So they're working out all these arrangements. And the church is like, whatever it costs, we'll take care of what, any extra things that your insurance doesn't take care of. Don't worry about any of that. Uh, we're like, because we were talking at one time about the, them flying her over. And we're like, how are we going to pay for something like that? And so there was another miracle the church was going to help provide for that. But uh, before they got all those arrangements worked out, the next thing we know, in comes the life flight people. And they said, we got back early and we bumped her up and we're going to take her over uh, now. So they flew her over to Charlotte. Uh, that was a miracle in and of itself that everything worked out like it did. Now there were some uh, ladies who had talked to my mom and they said, don't let him go by himself. Uh, make sure that, that somebody goes with him. And so these ladies went with me. Uh, and Samantha didn't want to let them do anything till I got there. And one of the ladies like, you need to let them do whatever they need to do. Well, in that time when they brought her in, they also had another young lady who was the same age as Samantha that they brought in from Gastonia, North Carolina, uh, who had an aneurysm. Hers had leaked, had ruptured a little bit, and, and hers had leaked, and she was in a, a dire situation too. They called them twins uh, there uh, in the neurological ICU. Uh, we got over there and talked with the doctor, and then that next day, uh, he did the surgery. It was the large, second largest aneurysm that he had done at that time. They used a coiling procedure. In fact, I think I have pictures in the, not of the actual blood and all that stuff, but just a graphic. Tell me, yeah. 
So this is what the aneurysm looked like. What they did is they fed a catheter up through in this ball of yarn. So she has 15 feet of platinum metal coiling in her head. You know she's got something. Her marbles are there. So <laughs> she's got at least one marble there. <laughs> See, you should have been up here. You could have said things about me. <laughs> So this aneurysm, the first one, the large one, is just like this. It was on the side of the blood vessel. So they filled it with that, and, and actually uh, she woke up at near, almost near the end of the surgery, and, and she thought maybe she had done something wrong, and, and they're like, oh, no, honey, and they put the gas back on her and got her uh, back down. But uh, they had fed enough in it that it backed back out, and so they had gotten 15 feet in. They give it a little electrical fuse. It hardens on that side of the vessel and allows that wall of the artery to heal back over so that it's like you never had, because an, an aneurysm is just a weak place on the vessel that balloons out. And once it begins, you know, like you're trying to blow a balloon, once it gets to that certain point where it begins to spread bigger, it goes quickly. And, and so she was at that place where she uh, could have easily ruptured or burst. So they filled that and, and got that taken care of um, and, and that healed over well. Um, the other one, she, and, and there's a lot of other details that went into this too that I'm leaving out, but just to give you the basics of it. Uh, the other one, they didn't do anything about. In fact, we went back the next year, and they were going to do that procedure, and he looked at it, and he said, it's still too small. Uh, we can't do anything with that. In fact, it was kind of like this one on the screen, except for uh, there's another vessel popping out to the side uh, where this is. And so because of that, it's not on the side. They can't use the same procedure. Uh, to fill it with platinum metal coiling, uh, to, or otherwise it would block the flow uh, of, the, of the blood through. So what they did was they did this using a catheter. They did something like a stent that they put in your heart, except for it's much longer. It's called a pipeline stent. It's got wider mesh in it than the kind you do in your heart. The kind you do in your heart is they're smaller to, to strengthen the vessel. Uh, this was also to strengthen the vessel, but to keep it basically from blowing out around the sides because that bubble was right there where the two connect together. And so they couldn't do that same or it would shut the blood flow off uh, to that. And so uh, everything was fine till 10 years later, 11 years later, um, but about a year before we came here, uh, the second one had started to grow some. Everything had been great. Uh, when, going over to Charlotte, the thing was always, I don't want to go, I don't want to go. They're going to tell me the same thing over and over again. It's, it's fine, it's not grown. Well, this time it had. And so we're back in the same situation somewhat. Uh, and so they did that procedure, put this pipeline stent in. And so every three years or two years, it was supposed to be now it's three years, hopefully it'll be five years. Uh, eventually we go back just to follow up to check. But everything has been great through all that process uh, so far, and she doesn't have any uh, damage. The young lady that they brought in, the same time they brought Samantha in, she passed away uh, before we were discharged from the hospital. I did get a chance to talk with her husband and to pray with her husband before she passed away. But we saw God's hand over and over and over and over and over. There was no doubt in our hearts that God was with us and God would see us through. And we're here today to share that testimony. There are others of you who are here, you could share your testimonies of how God was there with you over and over and over and over. How many miracles does it take for you to finally believe? I wanna tell you, it shouldn't take even one because there's one great miracle and that's the salvation of your soul that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. The blessings of the Lord in the past are there to remind us. It's that great assurance that he's going to bless you today and he's going to bless you forward into the future. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your blessings. Thank you, Lord for miracle after miracle, for sign after sign. Lord, I know there are those who are here who have, who have shared their testimonies before, some who've even written those down in, into a book form. And Father, I praise your name for uh, how you've used their testimonies. I thank you, Lord, for others who may not have done that, but who've shared how you've worked in their heart and worked in their life, miracle after miracle. Thank you, Lord, for showing us 
your love and your compassion. And I pray, God, that as we've experienced your grace and your mercy and your love day after day, Lord, I pray that we would be faithful to share that love and that grace and that same mercy with people around us, even if we feel like they don't deserve it, even if we feel like, well, they got themselves into it, they can get themselves out of it. Lord, help us to see them and to show them the same compassion that you showed us with no strings attached. And Lord, I pray that as we continue to walk with you daily, as we know we're going to face struggles in the future, help us to remember, to remember the faithfulness of your blessings in the past, to know that you will be with us here in the present, and you will see us through in the future. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to stand and sing our hymn of invitation by the mic. If you'll come and lead us. But if you'll stand as we sing. Is there anything I left out of the story you wanted to say? No? Okay. I just wanted to give you one more opportunity. Thank you so much for joining with us online tonight. Uh, we'll be back on Wednesday night, back in the book of Revelation again. So you come and join us. You're going to receive a wonderful blessing from the message this week. As we look, uh, we looked last time at the beast from the sea. We're going to look this time at the beast uh, that rises out of the land. And so you join us uh, Wednesday night, 6 o'clock. You have a blessed week, and we'll see you then.